Join me, Sean Haney, and Gary Chambers as we cover all things fitness. That's the Fit Farmer Podcast, available on realagriculture.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Fit Farmer Podcast on realagriculture.com. Sean Haney here with realagriculture.com and Real Ag Radio, Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. And it's time for another episode of the Fit Farmer Podcast. Also joined by my co-host, it is Gary Chambers. Hey, Gary, how are you? Great, Sean. How are you making out? Hey, man, I'm doing fantastic. I'm uh, I'm doing decent in my winter fitness routine. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too bad, probably better compared to to last year. I'm not, I'm not like you where I'm out and about and instructing skiing and doing all that kind of stuff, but... I am getting my butt off the couch, which I am kind of happy about. Well, that, that's good to hear, Sean. Uh, use the downtime. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Gary, we got a great guest this week uh, again on the podcast. Why don't you introduce him? Sure. Actually, this week we have Phil Villeneuve with Newtown Sales. And, and Phil and I have actually known each other for a long time when I used to work at Trail Sports in Canmore. Uh, 20 or so years ago or somewhere around there. Phil was training as an athlete there. And uh, now Phil has progressed in his career to working with some of the larger outdoor ski and cycling industry brands, um, uh, including Solomon and Mavic and Scratch. And we'll kind of go into all of that. But uh, Phil and I have known each other and crossed paths on numerous occasions over the years at different bike race events, different running events. And uh, I'm really happy to have him on the show today to kind of discuss the sporting goods industry, which is of a lot of interest to people since COVID started, uh, more interest than probably ever. So uh, I want to turn it over to Phil now and just tell us a little bit. Uh, and Well, thank you for joining us, Phil. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, pretty psyched to be uh, here on the show. Awesome. Awesome. So, Phil. Let's start off a little bit. Just tell us a bit about yourself as a competitive athlete, sort of going back to where you and I first met, and then also a little bit about how you got started representing the brands you work with. Yeah, well, I originally I'm from uh, the Ottawa area, a little small town, uh, very actually a uh, very agricultural uh, uh, town uh, of the Starfield in Ontario. Uh, it's about 30k east of Ottawa, uh, sort of a both a bilingual community out there. And uh, yeah, I grew up uh, like many, you know, skiing or uh, in the fields in the backyard with my parents, and uh, eventually uh, took part in the Jackrabbit program, which is a national uh, youth cross country ski program put on by Cross Country Canada or Nordic Canada, as it's called now. And um, yeah, basically just uh, found I had a affinity for going fast on skinny skis and progressed through the ranks there started racing and then uh, pursued that and to a point where uh, got onto the national team uh, program which brought me up to uh, Thunder Bay for a few years I actually studied forestry there and because um, uh, I had a, a big passion for environmental sciences and uh, qualified for the national team, moved out to Canmore. That was in 1995. And uh, from that point on, things uh, snowballed pretty quick. I guess I, I grew, I continued my, uh, my ski racing, uh, call it career, and, and chasing the dream, so to speak, wanting to obviously, like most aspiring amateur athletes, go to the Olympics. Although that uh, goal did fall short, I had uh, quite a few years racing on the World Cup 
circuits and uh, certainly uh, had some great experiences along the way. I guess my uh, throughout my career as an athlete, I always had a um, um, you know had a very good relationship with my sponsors, which was a, a great part, a big part of being an, uh, an amateur athlete. And uh, we don't make a lot of money when you're chasing a dream like that, so you had to make sure you um, uh, you know kept your sponsors happy, and uh, obviously went out and got the results so that you could uh, continue to get some more more products uh, passed on your way. And, uh, yeah, eventually, uh, as my career sort of faded or as I transitioned out of my ski uh, path into uh, the after, after the racing scene, then uh, that's when I kind of started getting into a little bit more of the marketing. And I created a program, uh, sort of a trade team, if you will, probably – most uh, uh, comparable to the bike world, if you will, like a, a pro bike team, but for skiing. So we went out, that was back in 2004-ish, and we created a team called XC.com, and we were supporting, the idea of the program was that we would support developing athletes. So since I was phasing out, I was keen to help out young, up-and-coming, up aspiring athletes, and... Um, yeah, basically, we went out and found a bunch of sponsors, created this team, and that's when I started uh, getting building a relationship with Solomon. And over the years, uh, I'd say they 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 were obviously uh, big in the Alpine world, but they had a very strong boot and binding system on the cross country ski side. And uh, in 2004, they started making cross country skis. So. Um, all of a sudden, all these sales reps across Canada, which were selling Alpine skis at the time, were, were, were given this opportunity to sell cross-country skis, and they had no idea how to sell this stuff. So I was already involved with the team of, with, the, with Solomon uh, at that stage, and I basically, you know, kind of said, "Hey, I can help you guys out," and that's where my relationship relationship started with the brand. So I started sort of educating them, showing them how to. Um, Dowel cross country skis, the, the, all the technical aspects. As you know, it gets pretty, pretty involved yeah. on the cross country side of things uh, with uh, waxing and uh, the flex of the skis, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and uh, yeah, basically, fast forward to kind of the early uh, 2012, had the opportunity to start selling uh, skis in Alberta. Um, so uh, that position came up. And uh, honestly, from that point on, it just kind of snowballed. So uh, I jumped in with two feet and, uh, yeah, was, didn't really know a whole lot about sales. Uh, but I knew the product. I knew all the shops in the territory so uh, or across country for that matter. And uh, from that point on, it was kind of a no-brainer. You know, you just uh, learn, learn the trade and start to sell the gear. And uh, it didn't take long, you know, uh, offering a, I kind of brought my work ethic from my training path onto my to the work front, and I uh, started basically accumulating brands uh, with my agency, and my portfolio grew pretty quick from that point on. So uh, that's in a, in a nutshell. That's that's how I got into selling gear. And it seems like uh, you know the brand itself. I mean, obviously, you know, um, a brand like Solomon now is sort of an everyday name, and. And, you know, that transition has been interesting to watch because it's, 
you know, it's so heavily now and, it, and it's managed to fall into niche markets that have grown so heavily like trail running and, and, you know, and then, you know, obviously yourself being an endurance athlete, um, you know, it, it's kind of grown out of your passions. It seems like over the last, you know, 10 or so years as you've branched out into, you know, your outdoors. And, and I mean, you and I have met often on, on cycling or in, in cycling events, obviously, which is my primary background. Um, but, you know, tell me a little bit about some of the, the products that you've branched into, you know, growing out of, you know, being just more than just Solomon. Yeah. And that's, you know, you, you brought up a good point there where, uh, you know, I think what drew the, the, the key driving factor behind uh, this transition to sales was really my passion. And, you know, I was passionate about cross-country skiing growing up. So it was a natural progression to start selling skis and ski gear. Um, after that, yeah, of course, as a cross-country, as a cross-country skier, we do it all, right? We run, we bike, we uh, spend a ton of time outdoors. So, and then it was just a natural progression to uh, Solomon obviously branched out into footwear and clothing. So it wasn't long before I started selling those categories um, into uh, the, probably my second brand to, to um, represent was Sunto uh, GPS watches. So again, an essential tool in our day-to-day training, right? Um, and then Mavic came on board. So for wheels and apparel and all the cycling world, so that opened up a whole other category in itself. And all these products I was super passionate about. And um, I, I'm not your classic sales guy, uh, not to pick on the uh, on the car sales uh, uh, world, but, you know, you uh, kind of pushing the product. And, um, you know, for me, it was really based out of the uh, fuel from the passion of, of my uh, endurance activities. So, uh, skiing, biking, running, all those, and any sort of tangent off that was an easy addition. And of course, first and foremost, I had to believe in the product. So as long as I could use it for my own pleasure and really believe in it, then it was after that selling it was just uh, was was the easy part uh, once that happened. For for sure, and I think you know I look at um, you know I think a lot of people. Uh, you look through the shops and whether it be bike shops or ski shops and, you know, you've got these crossovers that, that you're, you're working in uh, largely, you know, things like scratch labs, which is a, you know, a wonderful nutritional product I've used for years. I love scratch, uh, e-load, you know, those type of things are all, you know, these, these supporters to an endurance lifestyle that obviously you've built over the years and, 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 you know, why, um, you know, I've always enjoyed following what you're doing because uh, that's, you know, my area of interest, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we fast forward into COVID now. And I mean, obviously the last two years has exploded these inter- industries exponentially. And, and, you know, even the people who desperately want to become, you know, endurance athletes and want to, um, buy this gear, <laughs> they're kind of being turned away a little bit at the door uh, because of a lot of issues, you know, and we hear it in the farm circles, you know, every winter it gets worse, the supply chain issues and, you know, let, you know, I'd just like to maybe touch a little bit. And I think this is sort of an area that people are interested in, in this discussion. And I'm sure you get it every day. You know, I can't find a bike. I can't find skis. I can't find boots. Um, tell us a little bit about from a, from a sales rep perspective, you know, uh, this discussion around, 
um, sporting goods shortages and bike shortages and ski shortages. Can, can you touch on at least go a little bit down that rabbit hole? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is quite the rabbit hole, and uh, I, I guess I'll start just by by, by sort of explaining all the factors uh, with regards to the supply chain. And, and as you say, it's, this is affecting everything, right? So from your industry, uh, in farm supplies, to the construction world, to, you know, and, and of course, the outdoor, outdoor world has been hit on uh, primarily. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, well, basically everything kickstarted with COVID, right? And it was all of a sudden you couldn't socialize, you're stuck indoors or, or within your own uh, little community, you couldn't travel, couldn't do anything social. So what do you do? Well, you go outside and play. You start to uh, walk, run, bike, ski, camp, the whole, all the industries, uh, regardless, you know, from boating to biking, indoor training, everything was affected. And, and as a result, demand started to skyrocket. Then all of a sudden, uh, so we as consumers all go to the local shop and start out. I, I want skis, I want bikes, I want whatever it is, camping gear, boating gear. Um, and then, so all of a sudden, their orders go from zero to 100 in the span of a few months, really. It just started, you know, everybody was panicking in March of 2020. And by the time fall came, all the shops were already going crazy. with like, we need more, we need more, we need more. And uh, and consumers were it was just ramping up, uh, so kind of creating this uh, yeah this perfect storm. And then with increased productions, uh, shipping timelines started to expand. Um, you know, a lot of ships started leaving ports, arriving, a lot of quick turnaround times, etc. And then we started seeing, and that led to uh, basically increasing container costs. So from uh, you know, a container like you see uh, uh, typically will cost an average between two and four thousand bucks. That was the old price. Well, now prices started going crazy, and upwards of uh, some some companies were asking uh, over twenty, thirty thousand dollars for, in some cases, for containers. So, yeah, everything uh, was. Uh, Increasing costs were increasing, etc. So which which will lead to more uh, price increases down the road here, as I'll get to it. Um, so, for example, Solomon, being a, a fairly big company in the world of uh, uh, of outdoor gear, even their main supplier of shipping containers, basically reneged on their contract. Said, you know what? Sorry, we can't help you. Basically, scrapped. So all of a sudden, we're left with millions of dollars of products that don't have any containers all of a sudden. And then, uh, so they had to act pretty quickly to find new companies, new shipping companies, new containers to put all their gear to get to North America. So a bit of a curveball there. And then on top of that, you add COVID outbreaks in the factories, in the ports, in the shipping infrastructure everywhere. So you get a factory, uh, you know, either the whole factory gets COVID, gets shut down for a month, two months, three months. That affects at the by the time the product gets to retail, now all of a sudden you're a year behind schedule or more than that in some cases, like the bike industry. So, yeah, I mean, it it was it's pretty it is still very ugly and will continue to be for another probably another year or plus until we get out of this mess, uh, realistically. Yeah. Um, some brands are, are 
some categories are worse than others. In my world, the bike industry was the worst, is the worst. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing continued delays now. Bikes that were supposed to be delivered in the spring, last spring, you know, are getting delivered now. Bikes that are are still now. I just received more uh, emails today. Uh, bikes that were supposed to be delivered in December, January, are going to come till April now. Um, this is the reality of the bike world right now. And then timelines for production. Uh, so shops or us as sales reps, we, we take pre-orders from the stores. Um, the, the pre-orders now are going, not, not only are we doing pre-orders for next year, we're doing pre-orders for two years down the road. In some cases, some companies are doing pre-orders for three years down the road. It's absolutely crazy. And that seems to be kind of that trend with the, you know, and the consumers and, and sort of that whole, you know, everybody's got their name. I don't know how many lists, you know, consumers can have their names on or deposits they can have down on things. But it seems like, uh, you know, as consumers, you know, when it comes to all these industries, it's just sort of a, uh, uh, you know, you know the response you're going to get. So you put your deposit down and wait, I guess. Yeah, and, and actually, we, uh, as reps, tell our companies, uh, don't take deposits because we cannot guarantee, in most cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if, if that's up to the shop, whether they take deposits or not. And if you, you know, you can, you, you take, take the deposit with a full disclaimer that, yeah, don't worry, we're, you know, we'll give you yeah. money back if we can't get, uh, guarantee. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, yeah, it's it's almost to the point where we tell often, do not take a deposit because I cannot guarantee that this bike will actually be delivered to you or whatever it is. So, and, yeah. uh, so everything's being moved forward. Everything's being delayed further back. So we're taking orders earlier. The product's delivering later. The consumer, they don't know any better. Some people think, oh, yeah, we're jumping the gun. We're going in. You know, right. uh, I, I'm going in now in uh, February 2nd to uh, order my bike because I'm not going to wait till spring. Oh, wait, what? I'm being told I can't get a bike until February 2023. Yeah. Um, this, is the, this is the reality. Uh, and do you think the bike industry was maybe a little bit harder hit because, you know, you're somewhat reliant also on, it's sort of like the computer chip problem in, in vehicles and the bike industry sort of, relegated to components whether it be you know shimano or shram so you know the <laughs> supply every single bike company is relying on two component makers yeah. essentially and they're both you know in places that have had shutdowns so you know even if they could produce the bikes and the frames or have the bikes and the frames there's you know one you know one group of components missing in, in certain areas does that add to this absolutely yeah you're bang on like most when it comes to bikes, which has multiple components to, to build it, you all of you, you know, if you're missing one piece of the puzzle, you just can't sell that. Okay, well, yeah. then you start shopping around. Can I, can I go, can I find, can I replace this piece of the puzzle with another component? In some cases, yes, but in others, like uh, derailers or components, like, you know, when you have got two options only, SRAM or Shimano, uh yeah you're yeah <laughs> unfortunately uh, you don't have much option right you have to wait for shimano or for shram to provide those those products and uh, that is a big part is is the reason why bikes are affected a little bit more 
and to a large degree that that's almost magnified too because you get guys that are you know know what their consumables are like guys like myself well you know when this all hits of course you go and buy a whack of brake pads for each bike that you have and a whack of extra spare derailers because you know you're going to tear one or two off in a race season and you know then all of a sudden you know it starts this pandemic buying circle where people you know there's even shorter supply so the shops can't even you know build something if they wanted to because everybody's cleaned them out essentially it's, it's yeah, a very interesting interesting cycle yeah, it's kind of funny seeing the trend as the, you know, the past year has evolved here. We've gone from the shortages, there's been shortages in a variety of products, but they've all kind of fluctuated a little bit. And it sort of, you know, it went from tubes, you know, nobody could find tubes for a few months of, of last year or early in the, in the season. Then it was chains, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then, uh, then it was, uh, you know, price point mountain bikes. You know, anything right. uh, around the sub $2,000 mountain bike didn't matter, right? Yeah. And uh, so it really, uh, yeah, it, I mean, we're, I, and I think we're going to see that trend continue now. It, the, the shortages will evolve from one component group or category to another, and uh, this is going to be the norm as we go here for, uh, for the next year, possibly even longer, two years, I, I would say. And I think that I think that that um, those shortages and the consumer frustration uh, has led to you know, and then on top of it, you know, major brands have started to identify that the consumer's thirst for these products is quite high. And you've seen over the last year or two this this direct sales model really start to grow because the e-commerce grew from it and. You know, you had a company, companies like Canyon Bikes, and now just recently in the last two weeks or three weeks, you know, Specialized, who's the monster in the room when it comes to biking. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they announced a direct-to-consumer sales model um, that obviously it's got to be a little frustrating for the, for the uh, retail shops, but at the same time, you know, that the buyers are just trying to get their hands on anything, and, you know, I think there's you know, a lot of these big brands now are starting to go direct to consumer. What What are your thoughts when it comes to, you know, when you start to see this trickling in of direct to consumer online, how does that affect, you know, you as a rep or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, my, my own job relies on selling to uh, specialty retailers, right? So, right. Uh, so part of me is, is, kind of seeing this big giant of this online world grow in the background, it's inevitable that that's the direction of every single brand right now. If a brand is it's holding out, and that's literally what it is right now, in terms of the online world, and it's only a matter of time before they, they uh, themselves jump in uh, on that play because it is one of the faster-growing segments um, in, our, in our industry. Everybody has to sell just in terms of online, in terms of convenience, right? The consumer wants it, wants it tomorrow on my doorstep, basically. That's why we've seen the growth of Amazon and so on. So in terms of convenience, the, the brands, you'll see more and more brands take this direction. So they're, yeah, I mean, Canyon Specialized might take a bit of heat right now, but at the end of the day, they're leading the charge and, and the other brands will follow suit uh, on that end. Now that said, um, 
most of the brands that are established at, in the retail channels. For Canyon, they're, they're a little bit of their own little beast because they never went um, with um, retail specialty. They just went straight to consumer direct. But for Specialized that have been in stores or other examples like that, they've been in stores for, for years, they're very keen to work with the retailer. They recognize, hey, we need these guys. Uh, so they're not going to cut their ties with the retail segment um, tomorrow, you know, or next year for that matter. Um, so they come up with very uh, supportive programs of the online world. So they'll do things like they'll ship, you know, if me, I'm a consumer, I'm buying a specialized bike online, I can have a choice on, upon checkout. I can ship it to my local bike shop. I can, uh, uh, or I can get it shipped to myself, and then you know bring it to my uh, local bike shop. Often they'll they'll have kickbacks to the shop as well if it's a direct to consumer sale. Um, then um, uh, we'll have the, uh, the the shop will receive a, a profit from that sale, regardless of whether they were involved or not in the bid. Right. So, right. and I think you know some some products are, are a little bit more easily sold online. I mean, I think bikes and even skis for that matter, um, you know, they're, they're a little bit protected. And, you know, me as a consumer, I might not be super savvy as far as building my own bike. So I want my shop to build it or I want an experienced mechanic to build it. So in that case, uh, I will continue to go um, at the specialty channel. And, and so I, I think the, you know, same thing on the ski front, if anything, that's even more complicated to, um, to sell online. So I think the, the specialty shops are fairly protected with uh, these bigger categories like bikes and skis uh, in terms yeah. of the online channel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And obviously I think it's the relationships that most of these shops build with their clientele. Uh, is even more so important, like the sporting goods end of it. Um, you know, and I mean, let's face it, at the end of the day, the hard goods aren't necessarily like the bikes and skis aren't where the larger margins are for these shops. So I mm-hmm. think, you know, to, to some degree, um, you know, if they lose the occasional sale on the bike, what they really want is still to maintain the servicing and the replacement parts and the tubes and the consumables and the soft goods that go along with it. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the other thing that I've, I've noticed uh, recently, you know, as far as especially with with the pandemic, you know, we're starting to see some some things really grew like um, and it might have been coincidental to some degree, but it, it might have been um, timing also. And a couple of the things that really grown in the last two years, uh, cycling at the gravel industry, and we've talked about that on the show in the past. Uh, in mm-hmm. our trends, in our trends episode, and also trail running, and then esports and e competitions. Can you talk just briefly, sort of, you know, what what trends are you seeing that are growing, and and maybe is there any areas that you're seeing that things are maybe um, losing traction as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know, in terms of the endurance world, uh, certainly gravel was seeing a uh, the gravel segment was seeing already a bit of a spike before COVID happened and, and, and uh, that, you know, just going along with the trend of getting off the road, right? To mm-hmm. More traffic, a little bit more safety, a little bit more confidence in riding, uh, exploring adventure side of things that are, are growing in people. Same thing on the trail running side, right? Just getting off the road 
and the yeah. trend was already increasing. And I think COVID just blew that up. So, um, yeah. you know, gravel bikes, trail running shoes, cross country skis, everything yeah. uh, in those in that segment really took was brought up to another level um, in, within the once the pandemic started here. Um, as far as, uh, you know, on the negative side of things, or well, even, yeah, in terms of the D40 teams, I mean, they're, uh, same thing, uh, if we relate to, uh, the, the only e-sport, I guess I, I would personally be involved with, uh, would be more on the Zwift side where you can get into a little bit more competitive with either riding more socially or in terms of competition, but uh, again, you know, right, there's no offense, so. For sure, right. those are those the platforms are going to be benefiting those uh, users. I think the biggest hit uh, categories were more team sports um, like right. ball sports. Uh, I think uh, those are like hockey sales, yeah. uh, baseball specific sales, uh, anything in terms of gear, team jerseys. Um, right. Those those took a big hit. Uh, just talking generally to consumers, although it's coming back now. Now that things are opening back up, you know, sales are starting to increase again. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think overall, overall, we've seen just a, a higher, you know, we've, we've recruited this bigger pool of enthusiasts now, of, of outdoor enthusiasts, right? We were, let's say, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, we're at a certain level. Now, all of a sudden, this whole hype, everybody's wondering, is this going to stick around? Is this sustainable? Well, regardless, we've, we've created more attention to the outdoor acti- outdoor activities in general. So more people, you know, all the people that bought bikes are going to be uh, talking to all the people that bought skis, and then they're, you know, uh, they'll be talking to each other and say, oh, I have for biking, I love it. Oh, I should get into biking too, and vice versa on the ski side and on the running side and so on. So we've created a bigger pool, and is it sustainable at the pace we're going? No, of course not. But at least I think we're we're going back to these old school participation numbers that we used to have, uh, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, which is pretty uh, pretty uh, interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. And you know, I think it, it, it that crosses boundaries. It's not just sporting goods, but you know, you do see like you know, I mean, I know yourself included. You know, this overlanding trend and and people camping out in the outback and the, the sales mm-hmm. of sprinter vans and, you know, all of yeah. those type of things have really exploded. Um, you know, and I mean, it, it, it's kind of a gluttony of, of products. And I guess when I think about that, you know, the gluttony of products and the number and, you know, the sheer volume of sales, whether it be from people who are genuinely using them or we've grown that segment, um, you know, and then on the flip side of it is, I guess, uh, a lot of companies are identifying with the fact that there's a lot of product going out and in certain, certain areas, whether it be like say running shoes, um, you know, and I know maybe you can talk a bit about this because Solomon's been really big on the forefront of their environmental sustainability of production as have they with the product packaging and their sort of back loop systems as far as being super responsible, um, you know, with their outdoor industry, you know, from a, from a sustainability standpoint. And, and I think that's a really interesting um, thing that they are interesting direction that things have gone. I mean, obviously everyone's a bit more environmentally sustainable, but I think some of these companies are taking it to the next level right in the midst of, of, 
you know, shortages, they've taken the time to produce products a little more environmentally friendly. So touch a bit on that, what's going on with Solomon and some of these companies like that. Yeah, that's been a pretty cool evolution to, to follow. And uh, I love seeing, like, even using, yeah, using Solomon as an example. You know, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, we would actually have to dig deep in the in the Solomon website to actually find their sustainability policies and all that, right? Um, you know, we were being asked by some of the staff what Solomon doing, et cetera, when we're doing our education uh, components with the stores and, and it was a bit of a stretch to go, oh, well, okay, yeah, we, uh, you know, we use a little bit better packaging here and there and uh, starting to do, test out some products. So, but in the span of, of just a few years, it seems like, yeah, because um, uh, uh, matching up uh, with, with the, the pandemic, so to speak, uh, um, the, the effort, sustainability efforts have really gone through uh, the roof in, in some cases. So few examples that we, we started off, uh, like the Index 01 uh, shoe is a uh, sort of a prototype for us where uh, the whole shoe is recyclable. So you buy the shoe, you go home, you wear it, you run with it, et cetera. And then at the end of life, you actually send it back to Solomon. They crunch it up in pieces and actually will make uh, boot shell, alpine boot shells out of it. So yeah. pretty cool kind of a, a product that will completely transform being recycled 100%. Um, every single piece of that shoe being used to produce another product. So I, I think, you know, it's a bit of a teaser product now just to kind of showcase what we can do. But in terms of day-to-day products, um, you know, everything from footwear now, uh, every single part, uh, anywhere from 20 to 100% using uh, recycled products. Uh, we're seeing ski cores uh, made out of uh, recycled plastic bottles. Um, where you, we're seeing poles that are using recycled aluminum, some of our entry-level poles, and then the grips, the straps, the baskets, all made from recycled plastic. Um, and then in terms of the packaging, uh, obviously limiting plastic use to wrap the products in, uh, no more stickers on the skis or on the bikes, um, using cardboard that, you know, for the boxes, shoe boxes, for example, that are, uh, coming from forests that have been sustainably harvested. And then just in terms of general philosophy, we, we work with a company called Panorama, which is a um, bike company out of Quebec. And um, they've uh, deemed themselves climate neutral. So for essentially every, um, uh, yeah, basically they're, they're offset, uh, offsetting their carbon footprint for every single one of their business activities. And then, of course, the contribution to 1% of the planet, which a lot of companies are involved with as well. So, yeah, lots of uh, lots of companies doing lots of cool stuff. And I think it's only going to get more and more so. And it's, it's not a – does it – at the end of the day, does it motivate the consumer to buy that product? Maybe. But, you know, it, it's a, it's a must-do. It's not a question of whether to do it or not. They, all, every single company needs to be doing this now. And it's nice to be involved with companies that are – progressively, uh, you know, uh, actively, I should say, uh, getting better in this department, for sure. And I think it, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, products are products. They're there to be sold. They're there to be, um, you know, showcased. So at the end of the day, I think it's super important, um, you know, equally important that 
you know, they're finding ways to endorse their products. They're finding ways to um, promote what the, the innovation and the technology that they're working with. And, you know, in the past, they used to just sort of show you how latest and greatest was going to make you faster or going to make you, um, you know, fitter. But now it's sort of, you know, how they can do that with also being, you know, environmentally conscious. And so I think there's, you know, some recognition to the companies that are working in that in that space. And, and you know, I think it's we've obviously got a lot of products to put out there. And, and the, the world's changing from an advertising standpoint. I mean, we're right around the corner now from, you know, probably one of the largest means for advertising product that, that anybody can see with the Olympics starting up, you know, in the next couple of days. Um, and now we're at the cusp of two years with no events, no, I mean, not no events, but to a large degree, mm-hmm. limited events going on on a global stage. Um, you know, how, how much has the shutdown, how much did the Olympics mean to these companies as far as showcasing what they've been working on for two years? And, you know, what kind of role does that play in you guys' marketing and, and products? Like, is it still as significant as it once was with the Olympics? Or is it maybe more so just because of this Olympics and the timing? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, it's funny because we, you know, obviously the Olympics is the, uh, they have their own set of rules. So, you know, you and I are, are brand savvy and we, we always will look at what the athletes are uh, being on or racing on or, or participating in, wearing, et cetera. Um, what, but, the Olympics, because of their set of rules, that the brands aren't really allowed to come out and go rah rah rah. Look at me! I'm the you know winning pairs of, uh, of skis at this race. Um, but of course, on the back end of the Olympics, yes, the brands are still shouting out, "Hey, look at our athletes! They won on our skis or our right. our product, etc." So, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, absolutely, we'll we'll certainly like the other brands will. Uh, we'll tout uh, the gold medals uh, or the yeah. medals in general and, and our athletes' performances and, and use that in our, our social media and promotional uh, campaigns moving forward. Um, yeah. And uh, in terms of, for me, it's, it's interesting because at the end of the day, uh, elite performances or elite results on our products Especially in Canada, uh, we have a, we tend to have a, a bit of a different mentality than European minds, for that matter, or, or even Americans, which are a little bit more European in that nature. In that, you know, we, we don't get motivated by uh, performance necessarily. We get more get motivated by that individual. Um, so it's uh, it, it doesn't basically what I'm saying is that a gold medal on a specific product won't necessarily. Uh, translate into more sales at the tail on for that right. particular product. At least that's that's my own philosophy or observation uh, for Canada. So, but for European countries, uh, very motivational uh, to for the young kids. They they want to be. They aspire to be that that top Norwegian racer and whatever brand mm-hmm. he's on. That's what they want to buy. Because, <laughs> yeah, well, he's fast. And uh, whereas us, it might work for hockey, perhaps in our world, but yeah. uh, uh, for uh, for other um, sports, uh, especially of the endurance nature, maybe not as influential uh, from that perspective. But uh, bottom line, yes, absolutely. I think it'll be a 
a chance for uh, for brands to get back to those uh, old um, uh, you know promotional campaigns and and tout that hey look at how far we've come in the past two years and uh, yeah uh, celebrate our athletes' uh, victories on our products for sure yeah and I guess as things progress I mean obviously now you know the the role that social media plays and and social media influencers play on a day to day basis maybe goes you know, maybe lays more favor into what you're talking about in the Canadian model is you're sort of inspired by the people and, you know, people are seeing other people out doing it in their influencer circles or in their circles of mm-hmm. friends that are, that are training and, you know, things like Strava, you're watching, you know, the local athletes, whether it be in you know, obviously your backyard, like Canmore and, you know, everyone knows who's fast, who's training hard, you know, who's putting in the effort and, you know, maybe it's, uh, in representing brands, you know, you, you, there is more more to the marketing side of it, you know, with, with who you're putting, you know, pairing your brand with, whether they be a professional or a sort of grassroots athlete. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know, uh, um, I, I think, yeah, we, we that, that focus of more uh, regional influences, I think, you know, it's a, uh, I think Strava is a perfect example. You know, you you kind of follow inevitably. Either you use it as your, you know, you're going after the uh, the, the KOMs, uh, the, you know, fastest segments uh, in your yep. area, or um, or you're using it as a personal measuring stick. You know, for your own PDs and so on. And right. regardless, you always kind of end up peeking at those, you know, top guys. Oh yeah, I know him, and oh yeah, I know what he's yeah. uh, what he's wearing for gear and. Uh, and then you know that might prompt the question, hey, oh, uh, you know, how do you, uh, how do you like those shoes? How do you like that bike? How do you, you know? Because right. you know, you, you get a call yeah. out on what type of bike that person's on, what type of shoes that person's on, uh, yeah. or whatever. Or maybe they put on a photo and you saw the product, or they're making a call yeah. out on it. So yeah, I think uh, you know, there's a bit more of a uh, community-minded. Uh, um, focus in terms of uh, that that gear promo and and uh, seeing what your local buddy or, or local legend yeah. is on uh, as far as gear and so on and, and prompting that discussion. So and then why we put a little bit more emphasis, uh, at least for me, on the the staff that you know supporting staff that work in stores and supporting right. local ambassadors that are involved with coaching groups and you know that to me at the end. Is carries more weight than an app, you know, in terms of of uh, retail sales in my world, um, or or, or yeah. translating it to sales than a an Olympic gold medal sometimes. Uh, as, yeah, uh, totally. Uh, <laughs> which you know, it seems a shame to say, but uh, that's yeah. the way it works in our country. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Interesting. Well, sort of. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on in in this space. And I mean, we could go on forever and ever, but, you know, probably to, to kind of draw things to a close a little bit, I guess I want, I mean, you're scouring all the time, new products, latest and greatest. I mean, everybody always wants to kind of know, you know, what, what the next cool thing coming out is in pandemic times, maybe so that they can grab it before it's gone. Uh, but what, what kind of products like uh, as a product rep and, and you're out there looking, you know what? What cool things are you seeing coming out in the last few months that that either you rep or just what other what you've seen on the market at trade shows? What, what sort of trends and, and products are you seeing that look pretty cool? 
Yeah, it's, uh, that's been kind of a fun, you know, uh, fun part for me in the past year, especially with with, uh, with the big shortage in gear. Uh, we essentially, as reps, had nothing to sell. It kind of sounds funny to say, but everything was on pre-orders, right? So, right. Uh, but once your your main orders are taken, uh, there was no inventory to sell in season of. We had no bikes to sell. We had no <clears throat> shoes to sell. No keys to sell. So I actually went out on the hunt for to pick up new brands as an agency. Who could we represent? Uh, what do we want to represent? Um, and uh, are those come or are those companies that we are representing coming out with new cool products that are going to launch soon and uh, that we can sell to our shops or, and or to the consumers? So, so a few of those, uh, you know, one of the new companies or distribution companies that we started. Uh, representing in uh, November 2020 was a, a company out of Nelson called NRG Enterprises. And that name doesn't really mean a whole lot to a lot of people, but they represent other brands like Max's Tires, uh, Mavic Wheels, uh, Chromag, Hope, Liat, etc. cetera. Uh, they do a ton of products. Uh, I think they have like 25 plus brands wow. under their, their banner. So I represent all those little companies, and and they, that the NRG is is run by a super core group of mountain bikers, and these guys ride the gnarliest stuff, and like they right. ride circles around us, kind of thing. Uh, maybe not yeah. on the uphill, but on the downhill. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but anyways, and and they they've been really progressive into bringing in new products, and and uh, certainly some of the cool stuff um, they've got is uh, is Liat is a kind of an up-and-coming mountain bike brand. They do everything, footwear, protectives, helmets, apparel, etc. So that's been really fun. And of course, being an avid mountain biker myself, it's, it's nice to sport, you know, really uh, mm-hmm. fun, cool gear from that perspective. Um, and the uh, Another product I kind of went after was, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it earlier was I've been obviously going down the, the camping and overlanding kind of rabbit hole myself and getting geared up there there and what can we do while we're camping and what gear can we have? So uh, yeah, certainly a stand up paddle boarding has came on the radar and uh, um, so I went out looking for a few brands and found a company out of Colorado called Bad Fish and um, super fun product, very progressive. I mean, there's a ton of stand up paddle boards on the market but what makes them stand out is they kind of focus on river surfing inflatable boards Um, and that's been a bit of my background in the past I've kayaked a lot I've canoed a ton and uh, so certainly uh, something to get back in that world so uh, they've got this new board uh, called the flyweight that's around 18 pounds and rolls up in this really tight little ball and you know which is back. really cool because anyone who's yeah. paddleboard and i think most everybody has paddleboard and thought well man i wouldn't mind having a paddleboard for the odd recovery day but yeah. who has the space for it and who wants to try and carry it to you know to anywhere exactly so uh yeah so fun little products like that a panorama has been a nice addition like i mentioned the more earlier a canadian yep. company focusing on gravel, fat bikes, uh, expedition-type touring bikes, and super sustainable philosophy there. Um, And then on the nutrition front, uh, yeah, we mentioned Scratch earlier. They've got a new product called Super Fuel. So anything for endurance buffs like ourselves, uh, anything over that 
three hour mark. Uh, this is like uh, this was developed by the uh, pro cycling team uh, or in, in partnership with the pro cycling team EF Education, and yep. um, they came out with this yeah kind of long distance super fuel, really tasty natural ingredients yada yada you know all good yep. for you kind of ingredients yeah, yeah. and. And uh, the last final, final uh, quirky product uh, that kind of I've seen it pop up a little bit more at stores because bike shops didn't have bikes to sell. So what did right. they sell? You know, a lot of them started selling uh, electric scooters. So as funny as it sounds, uh, you know, you saw a lot of those crop up on the market. And uh, yeah. I started, you know, shopping around uh, within uh, the, the, the different brands that are out there, you know, who would want representation, et cetera. And, and of course, stumbled on a company. I didn't end up signing anything with them, but a really cool company out of Montreal called Apollo. And they make scooters that go like up to 50K an hour. So <laughs> there's another That's a little dangerous, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that'll, uh, that'll cap off my uh, product uh, recap there as far as what yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's really, you know, the, the, the way things are going, I think it's, you know, I think everybody's, genuinely more curious and genuinely more, you know, I don't know whether it's COVID related or they're just sort of focused on their health or they're focused on the fact that they've got extra time with, with less distractions, but it does seem like the sporting good industry has benefited greatly. Um, and, and I think that benefits everybody in their general health, uh, you know, that people have taken time to focus on new products and new gear and, and to grow, you know, sports that were maybe sort of, not mainstream before, you know, I mean, they were popular, you know, even Nordic skiing, you know, I mean, obviously both of us grew up, um, you know, and, and it came, you know, uh, 20 years, but Nordic skiing was hardly mainstream. Um, but now, you know, it's become, you know, everybody's favorite pastime, which is so intriguing to me to see, you know, in Calgary or at the golf courses on in the evenings and all the programs going on there. And, you know, there's just a general acceptance of these sports as mainstream now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. great to hear a little bit about the products and obviously everybody's, you know, interested in what's the latest and greatest. So, you know, I definitely appreciate you taking some time to kind of give an update and, you know, share with our listeners exactly what's going on in some of the sports that are truly, you know, very popular these days. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, yeah the opportunity. It's been uh, kind of fun to yeah give the people a, a little glimpse of what's happening in our <laughs> world. Like I said, you know, it's not, not so much uh, the past few years. Honestly, uh, it hasn't been so much sales, but more management of orders. You know, it's like yeah. uh, the amount of time I hear, "Where's my order?" That's kind of the number one question I get, as opposed to you know, hey, what can I buy? Or, you know, I need to top up yeah. on this and that. Or it's more, where's my order? Where's my yeah. buy? Expect, my expectation management is a, as one rep, I think, told me the other day. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I, and unfortunately, it's, we're not out of the woods yet, you know. Uh, right. You know, from a consumer standpoint, uh, if you're even thinking about any type of gear, regardless of the category, whether it's bike, run, camping, outdoor, paddling, whatever it is, Go to your local shop, put in an order, be patient. It'll come yeah. in. It, just, it can be anywhere from two yeah. weeks to uh, a year plus. So it's, yeah. uh, that's just the reality these days. You bet. Well, thank you very much, Phil, for your time. And uh, we appreciate you having you on the show. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate cool. it. Cool. 
Join me, Sean Haney, and Gary Chambers as we cover all things fitness. That's the Fit Farmer Podcast, available on realagriculture.com or wherever you get your podcasts.